Good evening. This evening, I'd like to turn your attention to the fourth chapter of the book of Hebrews, the 16th verse, where the Apostle Paul says, Let us therefore come boldly under the throne of grace, that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in time of need. The Lord bless us this evening. I'd like to look at that phrase, let us. Before I begin, I want to say how happy I am to be back with you here at Bethel. Um, I was trying to think as we were sitting here during the song service, I think it's about 17 years ago, the first time I was able to come. That was back during brother, the time when Brother Sonny Piles would come during the August meeting here. And I drove down from Illinois where I was then living and pastoring. And number one, it's hard to believe that's been that many years ago. Uh, and uh, that, that much time has passed. Of course, now Brother Sonny's with the Lord, and I also look out, and I'm glad to see your faces, but I also think about many faces that are also there with the Lord, uh, many that I could name, but I won't because I know I'll overlook some, but uh, it's just a great blessing to be back here with you uh, this weekend, so I appreciate the invitation, the opportunity, and also that the Lord and His gracious providence uh, brought us here safely uh, this evening. If I was to be asked my favorite book, the Bible, I think I could consistently respond, it's the book of Hebrews. Um, for a number of reasons. Um, one, I believe it is the best commentary there is in all the world regarding the Old Testament, specifically uh, the things written in Exodus and Leviticus in particular regarding the priesthood and how all those things were a picture of, but also completed in, the person and work of the Lord Jesus Christ. Um, we've heard it said before that the best commentary on the Bible is the Bible itself. So a lot of times when I get a little confused when I'm reading in the book of Exodus or Leviticus, I can turn over here to the book of Hebrews, and many times I can find the answers uh, to what is being uh, described under the Mosaic uh, law and the priesthood and all that took place if you're a Bible reader and you read through the Bible every year, I know as you get to Exodus, especially when God starts giving the plan for the tabernacle and the furnishings of the tabernacle, then the priesthood and all the clothing of the priesthoods, the offerings and all those things. And at the times it can uh, appear dull reading. But if you will look uh, deeper into that and see the beauty that's being portrayed and what would be accomplished by the work of Jesus when he came into the world, of course, I believe it comes much more alive and you find that it's uh, very beneficial. I strongly believe that every word in the King James Bible is the inspired word of God, having been preserved by his uh, hand throughout history. And I don't believe the Lord wasted any space in the word of God. It's all important. Uh, it's all needful. Uh, it's written for our learning. And we certainly ought to read it, try to memorize it. As David said, thy word have I hid in my heart that I might not sin against thee, and then employ it and our lives would be greatly, greatly blessed. I can attest that when I have honored the Word of God by reading it and obeying it, my life has been blessed. And when I have neglected to do that, I have borne the consequences thereof. The book of Hebrews, um, we find <clears throat> there's uh, several phrases that could define this book. In 13 chapters, we find the word better 13 times. The word once is found 11 times in this book, and the phrase let us is found 13 times in 12 different verses. Uh, this phrase let us 
is giving us the idea this is something that you and I are able to do. If I were to say to you, let me go do so-and-so, in some ways I'm sort of asking permission. But when the Apostle Paul, who I believe is the author of this book, is saying, let us, he's not saying we need permission for these things. Rather, it's a command, these are things we're to do. But it's also not a guarantee that we will do it. There's a lot of things in this world that we're commanded we're to do by the Lord that we fail to do. The Bible also says that he's a thorough furnisher into all good works. We also find that the Bible says he worketh in us both to will and to do of his good pleasure. That tells me that when the child of God is born again, he gives us the ability and he gives us the motivation to do the things that he's commanded us in his work. But that does not mean that he will uh, do that for us. He, we're to work out our own salvation with fear and trembling. Old Baptists understand that to mean that we understand that our eternal salvation is finished in the Lord Jesus Christ. But there's also many deliverances here in this world that you and I are the blessed recipients of if we'll be obedient to the commands of God. And there are many times that God's children miss out on many deliverances because they simply will not comply with what the Bible tells us to do. So here in Hebrews chapter 4, I'd like to begin tonight, I don't think we'll probably hit all 13 uh, of these phrases, but I'd like to look at a few where the Apostle Paul encourages us to uh, let us do certain things. Here he says, let us therefore come boldly to the throne of grace that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in time of need. I don't know a year in which this verse has been more pertinent for God's people than the year that uh, we have concluded or maybe, well, over a year now. Uh, all of us have lived through COVID, and I don't want to spend much time focusing on COVID. COVID's had too much attention as it is, and I'd rather keep our attention on the Lord Jesus Christ. I think that's the answer to COVID. It has been since day one, and uh, too many times we've allowed ourselves to listen to the talking heads uh, in the medical in, uh, field and in the political field and all those things and let ourselves become afraid. And there's certainly wisdom that we needed to employ. And there were precautions and uh, measures we need to take, no doubt about that, uh, but all those things would be taken too far. But one of the things that was very important from day one, and even prior to the pandemic, but especially from day one, is for us to come boldly to the throne of grace. Uh, thank God that you and I have that privilege. Imagine where we would be if we didn't have a throne of grace to approach to. He doesn't say we're to approach to a mountain of fear and trembling like he talks about in Hebrews chapter 12 when he talks about Mount Sinai when uh, Moses was the only one allowed to go there. Uh, the Bible says that uh, the people did exceedingly uh, fear and quake uh, when they came to Mount Sinai. But you and I are come to Mount Zion, the city of the living God. But not only that, we are blessed. And all too often we fail to avail ourselves of the uh, blessing we had to come to the throne of grace. Again, this is not the throne of judgment. This is not the throne of harshness. This is not the throne of, of God uh, uh, raining down uh, consequences and hardness against us. Here Paul says, you and I are to come to the throne of grace. What a wonderful throne that is to know that there is a place in heaven, a throne where God sits, and he calls it here a throne of grace. Uh, that's a wonderful blessing to consider, is it not? That there is a place in heaven that's called the place of grace, the throne of of grace and the God of all grace is the one who occupies that throne and you and I have the blessed privilege to come to that throne but not just come he says come boldly he says let us therefore 
Now, I've always been taught when you see a therefore, uh, look out why it's therefore. And so if you look in the verses right before, the Apostle Paul tell us why it is that we're to come boldly to the throne of grace. He says in verse 14, seeing then we have a great high priest. You know, there were high priests in the Old Testament, but right now, at least in the top of my mind, I can't think of a one that was called a great high priest. Uh, you had the high priest and you had regular priests. The high priest, of course, was the one that would go in once a year on the Day of Atonement. He was an individual that had an awesome responsibility, a responsibility, quite frankly, I'm thankful that I do not possess, a responsibility that God has not laid upon my shoulders in that same way. I wouldn't have wanted that job. But the Lord Jesus Christ excels the high priest of the Old Testament day. And there's a lot of reasons that Hebrews tells us that he excels uh, the priest of the Old Testament day. He says, seeing then that we have a great high priest, He's great in power. He's great in authority. He's great in his mercy. He's great in his compassion. He's great in the fact that he hears our cries and his eye is over the righteous. Uh, he's great in the sense that he looks to the smallest needs of our life. Uh, he's great in the sense that nothing uh, surpasses his knowledge and nothing is beyond uh, his sight that we go through in our earthly experience. There's not a single thing that you've ever experienced that was beyond the knowledge and the care of the Lord Jesus Christ. So again, Paul says, seeing then that we have a great high priest, notices that is passed into the heavens. He lets us know where our high priest is. I don't have to wonder about where Jesus is. You know, in, in Luke chapter two, when Jesus was 12 years old, his mother and father uh, lost the Lord Jesus Christ. Uh, uh, now Jesus knew where Jesus was, but uh, his mother and father, they didn't know where Jesus was, but Jesus was right where Jesus needed to be. He was in the temple of God, uh, confounding the doctors and lawyers with both his questions uh, and his understanding of the law of God. That's no surprise. He wrote the law of God, so he ought to have understood it better than the doctors and lawyers of that day. But you know, his mother and father, they didn't know where he's at. And sadly, there are a lot of people in this world that I believe truly are uh, seekers of, of the Lord Jesus Christ individuals that are hungering and thirsting after righteousness that I believe would rejoice in the finished work of the Lord Jesus Christ if they simply knew uh, where to find it. I'm thankful that the Lord blessed me by his kind providence at a very young age through the blessing of a very faithful, godly, great grandmother who understood the truth of the finished work of Jesus Christ, who had such a disposition that I love to be in her presence that at age 12, I wanted to go with her to the house of God, not because I was interested in the things of the house of God. I just love being with her. But before long, I became very interested in the things of the house of God and I found the Lord Jesus Christ. I found him in an experiential way when I was uh, 12 years old. And I thank God for that. It changed the course of my life by being able uh, to find the Lord Jesus Christ and find his gospel. But I'm thankful to know where Jesus is. I don't have to wonder about that. I don't have to wonder uh, where our God is. He is seated firmly in his throne. He has an everlasting dominion and of the increase of his government and peace, there shall be no end. That's the God that we serve. That's why Paul could say, let us therefore come boldly, seeing that we have this great high priest, which is passed into the heavens. He's not like the high priest of the Old Testament day uh, that would live so long and die and have to be replaced by another. Uh, you and I serve the same high priest uh, from the moment that we're born again until the moment 
moment we leave out of this world, we don't have to worry about a, repra- a replacement. We don't have to find out where he's at. Thank God he is firmly seated, will never be dethroned. There's no authority, no power, no dominion that can ever excel or exceed or ever uh, come against him in a way to overthrow him. And thank God that's the truth. And thank God he's the one that upholds all things by the word of his power, as Paul would say here in Hebrews chapter 1, verse 3. So anyway, he says, we have a, uh, seeing then, we have a great high priest that is passed into the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God. So he tells us who he is, and he tells us where he is, and he tells us what he is. He's the Son of God, that's who he is. He's in heaven, that's where he is. And he tells us he's a great high priest, that's what he is. And thank God for all three truths that Paul here declares to us in this verse, that we know what he is, we know where he is, and we know who he is. That's important for the child of God to know. I guarantee you there's such great comfort and security in knowing where Jesus is and who Jesus is and what he is. It has done wonders for my life. It has totally transformed my experience as I've lived here on this earth. And thank God that through the gospel, he's been preached to me many times. And I've rejoiced in a Savior's love. I've rejoiced in knowing who he is and where he is and what he is. Then he says, for we have not a high priest which cannot be uh, touched with the feelings of our infirmity. That's just Paul's way of saying, we do have a high priest who can be touched with the feelings of of our infirmities. Um, Before services, Brother Junior was telling me about some infirmities he's having right now. I was touched by them because he and I are having the exact infirmities at the moment. (laughs) And that's the only reason that I could be touched by the feelings of his infirmities because I happen to be experiencing the same one right now. Uh, But there's a lot of infirmities that you could come and tell me about that I would not understand. I might be touched in a way of sympathy, but I wouldn't be touched in a way of empathy. Obviously, sympathy is trying to feel sorry when you don't really understand. Empathy is you feel sorry because you do understand because you've experienced yourself. According to this verse, the Lord Jesus Christ, he is empathetic to all of our infirmities. He's touched with the feelings of our infirmities. Are you not touched with the feelings of your infirmities? How many times do you get down? Do you get discouraged? Do you get distressed over the infirmities of this life? Uh, I tell you, uh, uh, Satan is very active in this world. Uh, That's one of my uh, infirmities. In fact, it uh, couples up to quite a few of them. Uh, He's very active. Uh, Wicked men in this world are very active. My own sinful nature can be very active. Uh, my wicked imagination can be very active. Uh, there's a lot of infirmities before I even get to my physical body uh, that I have to deal with in life, and you do as well. But I'm thankful to know that there's one in glory who is our great high priest, pastor of the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God, who is touched with the feelings of our infirmities. And we could go all over the New Testament and the, and the Gospels and see where Jesus literally was touched with the feelings of the infirmities of his people. I think about John chapter uh, nine right quick, where the Lord Jesus Christ goes, and there was that man that was born blind. And the disciples asked the question, who did sin that he was born blind, him or his parents? 
And of course, Jesus is basically saying, that's a foolish question. Uh, it was neither. He didn't do anything wrong. I mean, number one, he's in the womb. What could he have done wrong? Now, I realize we're shaping an iniquity, but he hadn't actively sinned at this point. Nothing he could have done. He said it wasn't his parents' fault. He says, but for the glory of God. And of course, you know the story there in John chapter 9, that man ended up seeing. And the very first thing this man ever saw with his natural eyes was the face of the Lord Jesus Christ. And I'm looking forward to a day that the first thing I see when I close my eyes in death will be my eyes will awaken in glory, beholding the face of the Lord Jesus Christ. Anyway, a lot of cases in the scriptures. I find when people would cry out to the Lord Jesus Christ, it says that the son, S-O-N, stood still. You know, over in Joshua, there was an occasion when Joshua was in battle and he did an extra daylight and he cried out to the Lord and the son, S-U-N, stood still for about a day. And the Lord blessed him. And that's a miracle on itself. But I think a greater miracle is that the son S-O-N stood still for somebody who needed his help while he was here in this world. One of the most uh, touching uh, scenes in the Bible is found there in the seventh chapter of the book of Acts. When Stephen, a precious saint of God, one of the first of the original deacons there at the church at Jerusalem that was ordained in Acts chapter 6, uh, was preaching in such a way that his face was like an angel. And those men hated the Lord Jesus Christ and hated his gospel and hated his followers so much that they took up stones to stone him. And the Bible says that as he fell on sleep, I love that expression. Here he is being stoned to death and yet he just fell on sleep. It's like though uh, it didn't hardly even affect him physically, even though we know it did. But one of the last things, you know what he saw before he left this world? <laughs> He saw heaven open and the Son of Man standing on the right hand of God. I can find a lot of places in the New Testament where it says Jesus is seated at the right hand of God. But on that occasion, he saw heaven open and Jesus standing on the right hand of God. Why do you think Jesus was standing? I think because Jesus was touched with the feelings of his infirmity so much uh, that he couldn't just sit there in his uh, uh, throne of intercession. He actually stood up in defense of Stephen. And the last thing that Stephen saw in this life was Jesus standing. And I believe the first thing he saw when he fell on asleep was Jesus sat back down at the right hand of God. Uh, so when I read Acts 7, you think, well, what a horrible thing for that man to go through. Well, actually, if you look at it from a uh, heavenly perspective, what better thing to go through? <laughs> your last experience on earth to see Jesus standing in your defense, and then the very next thing you see is Jesus seated in power and victory and glory. So he says, we have not a high priest which cannot be touched with the feelings of our infirmities. That means he simply can be touched, and he is touched. That means he's very much moved when you and I feel infirm in this world. You know, this world is a very infirm place. We think about it being very firm, very solid, and it is because by Jesus, according to Colossians, all things consist. All things are held together because the Lord Jesus Christ. He made all things and he's holding all things together. And in that sense, it's very firm. But there's coming a day, the Bible says, this world, which we think is so firm, is gonna be wrapped up like a vesture or a piece of clothing and it should be changed, and Jesus is going to burn it up. Everything in this world is going to be burned up. Everything we hold dear, uh, you know, I love coming to the house of God. I thank God for the house of God, but one of my favorite places is 2139 Nichols Road in Lithia, Florida. You know why? Because that's where I live. It's the most comfortable place on earth to me. 
I know just ever, about every corner of that house because I've worked on every corner of that house. <laughs> I know every uh, piece of uh, uh, square footage on that property. Uh, it's just home, and I'm thankful for it. But one of these days, everything I hold dear about that place, either I'm going to already be out of this world or it's going to be burned up. But you know what? I won't care. Because when the Lord Jesus Christ comes back and I'm changed into his glorious image, all these things, all of our earthly ties, all of our earthly affections, all the things that we hold dear here will pass away. All these things that seem so firm are actually very infirm. The days come and they'll all be gone. And the only thing that will matter is the Lord Jesus Christ and the family of God. So he says, we have, a, we, not, we have not a high priest which cannot be touched with feelings of our infirmities, but notice he says, but was in all points tempted like as we are, yet without sin. You know, when you turn to the gospel of Matthew, the fourth chapter, you find where the Lord Jesus Christ, after he was baptized, was uh, led by the spirit in the wilderness to be tempted of Satan for 40 days. For 40 days, the Lord Jesus Christ had nothing to eat. If you'll recall, at the end of that 40 days, Satan comes to the Lord Jesus and says, command these stones to be made into bread. And certainly Jesus had the power to do that. I mean, was it not Jesus uh, in the Old Testament <laughs> uh, that water came forth from a rock? The Bible says in 1 Corinthians 10, that rock which followed him was Christ. Now, if the Lord Jesus Christ could be that rock that followed him that could bring out water to feed about 2 million Jewish people, Jesus could speak to stones that are made bread. I find on another occasion, the New Testament says that if the Lord wanted to, he could raise out of stones uh, children to Abraham. Uh, I find over in the book of Ezekiel that he took a valley of uh, dry bones and all of a sudden he spoke and all of a sudden those bones that were dry had sinew, had muscles, had flesh and had life. And that's gonna, that will literally happen one of these days when all the valleys of cemeteries in this world, those dry bones that have actually literally turned to dust will be gathered back together, sinew will come back, muscle will come back, and life will come back, but not like it is right now, but in glorified bodies. That day is coming. Anyway, he says he was in all points tempted. Here comes Satan against him. Think about Jesus for a moment here. 40 days with nothing to eat. I don't like to go for hardly four hours with nothing to eat, uh, but to imagine 40 days. Uh, 40 days, nothing to eat. Here is the Lord Jesus Christ prior to being at the cross at his weakest physically. Now think about Adam in the Garden of Eden, Eden uh, Genesis chapter 3. Here is Adam at his strongest. Here is man genetically at his strongest. And what happens? Satan comes into the garden and deceives Eve. She eats, gives to her husband, and he eats. And of course, their eyes were opened, and sin entered the world, and death by sin, and death passed upon all, for all has sinned. But here is the Lord Jesus Christ at his weakest. And here comes Satan to him, and he says, Command these stones that they be cast to bread. What does Jesus say? The word of God says this, that man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceedeth out of the mouth of God. And of course, two more times, Satan comes and tempts the Lord. And every time the Lord answers him out of the law in the book of Deuteronomy and withstands the temptations of Satan. And remember, once again, he's at his weakest point physically, but yet he's still not weak because he's the son of God. 
But he's in all points tempted like as we are, yet without sin. He did not sin. The Bible says in uh, uh, 1 Peter, who did no sin, speaking of the Lord Jesus Christ, who did no sin, neither was God found in his mouth. Paul would say in Hebrews chapter 7, he was holy, harmless, undefiled, and separate from sinners. And yet he's Emmanuel, God with us. That's a great paradox, is it not? He's separate from sinners in the sense that he could not sin and he did not sin. But at the same time, he's Emmanuel, God with us. That means he came to dwell among us so that one day we will dwell among him forever. He came here for a short while so that we can live there through all the days of eternity. So here Paul says, we have a high priest. He's passing to the heavens. He's Jesus, the son of God. He can be touched with our infirmities. He feels what we feel. He knows what it is to be tempted because he was, in temp he was tempted, but he never sinned. So based on all of that, he says, let us. This is something we're commanded to do. This is something we can do. But you know, I have to confess there's days that I come to the end of the day and I look back on the day and realize, you know what? Today I got so busy. I didn't take time to come to the throne of grace. There's times that I come up out of the bed thinking of all that I've got to do. And finally, in the waning moments of my strength at night, as I'm about to fall asleep, it dawns on me of all the people that I've talked to today. The one who is my best friend I forgot to talk to. I'm sure you've been there as well. He says, let us. That tells me that's not a guarantee that we will. But we always have the opportunity. There's never a moment in our experience that we don't have the time to talk to the Lord. I don't care where you're at. You can be on I-75 down around Tampa, Florida, or on I-4, even worse, headed over to Orlando, which I've been on. I do talk to the Lord a lot on I-4, I will say that. <laughs> uh, lots of times I've talked to the Lord on I-4. Um, but a lot of times, you know, we talk to the Lord almost as a last-ditch uh, effort instead of talking to him like we should as our dearest friend. You do recognize, I trust, you have no greater friend than the Lord Jesus Christ. He would say himself, greater love hath no man than this, than a man lay down his life for his friends. I have never had a man that I know of that knew me personally that laid their life down for me. We have soldiers that serve our military that have laid down their lives for me, generally speaking. But that's not how Jesus died. He didn't die, generally speaking. He died particularly. He died specifically. Greater love had no man than this, and a lot man lay down his life for his friends. And yet I think about that, and then I think how often I fail to simply turn to him and to talk to him. So here Paul says, let us therefore come boldly. I love that he puts that boldly in there. He doesn't just say, come and talk to the Lord because of all this. He says, you're to come boldly. Now that doesn't mean arrogantly. I'm not to come before God like I see some children in this day and time come to their parents. I tell you, there's some things that I see that I know that I would have 
been nearly murdered by my parents and grandparents if I'd have said that uh, children and young folks say today to their folks when they come and demand things of them. I knew never to come demanding anything of my parents or especially my grandparents because I knew then even if they were disposed to have done it for me, that made them indisposed very quickly. Uh, in other words, I knew to come and ask them humbly. So when he says come boldly, he does not mean there's to be arrogance. We're still to recognize that while he is our father, he is the creator of heaven and earth, that he is the sovereign God of all things, that he is Lord of lords and he's king of kings. And so there ought to be respect and reverence and godly fear as we come before the Lord. In fact, that's one of the let us of the book of Hebrews. We're to recognize that he is a God with great power, great authority. He is a God that has done great and mighty things. He can be a dreadful God. Uh, he is a very awesome God in his abilities. But also he's very awesome in his grace and in his mercy. And so when you and I come before the Lord Jesus Christ, we're to do so like he says in Luke chapter 18, men always ought to pray and not to faint. That means I'm to come regularly to the Lord, but I'm also to come boldly in this sense, that I trust, number one, that he is able to help me, and secondly, because he loves me, he's also willing to help me. And that's the boldness that I'm to have as I approach the throne of grace. I'm not to come in a demanding way saying, God, you owe me this, step up and do it for me. I'm to come to him boldly in this sense that I know that he's able, and I also know that he loves me, thus he's willing if I'm within his will. So we're to come boldly to the throne of grace, why? So that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in time of need. I need him every day, I don't know about you. <laughs> a lot of times I need him and don't recognize it. And then there's other times the need is very acute and I'm very aware. But I need him every moment. And the Bible says in the book of Psalms that my very breath is in his hands. So for me to breathe out my next breath, I need the Lord. A good man, the Bible says, his steps are ordered by the Lord. If I want to walk in a good direction, I need him to help me and to guide me and to lead me. To obey his word and do the things that he commands me, I need him. When Satan comes against me, I need him. When things are going wrong in our church, I need him. When things are going wrong in our nation, we need him. When things are going wrong with your spouse and yourself, we need him. We need the Lord far more, I think, than we often recognize. And thank God we have one that we can come to and find mercy. We can obtain mercy and find grace to help in time of need. And as for me, that time of need is every single day of my life. And thank God we serve one. Again, he's Jesus, the son of God. He's a great high priest and he's passionate of the heavens. But while he's in the heavens, he's still touched with the feelings of our infirmities. And because of that, we can come to him confidently believing that he's able and he is willing to help us. So let us come to him and we'll be amazed at how he will respond by coming to us. May God bless you tonight.